Welcome to the Fairest Love Shrine Podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking with Illinois-based licensed marriage and family therapist, Doug Hinderer. Today, we're going to talk about how to prepare for marriage before you're even dating or dating seriously. Welcome, Doug. Hello, Katie. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you back and have you talking about this topic. I know it's a hot one for a lot of people who are, you know, desperately seeking or actively seeking a spouse um, Mm -hmm. to try and figure out, like, how do you prepare for marriage? How do you get ready for this really big life commitment, even if you haven't found the one yet? Yeah. Uh, yeah, And this is my real passion. Marriage prep work, helping couples make good decisions, getting them ready for marriage is is my real passion. This thing I'm the most excited about. And, And, you know, what? nine kids. Um, I really want to help them make good decisions. Those who are discerning a vocation to marriage, I want to help them make good decisions. So I've got some skin in this game mm-hmm. to help couples make uh, uh, good decisions. And, you know, for me to get licensed as a marriage and family therapist, I had to get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. So that's a total of six years of college to prepare me for a profession. Mm-hmm. To get married, I just needed to go to a, a, a weekend thing. Mm-hmm. That didn't really prepare me for anything. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I can change my profession and walk away from it at any time. Right. I cannot do that to my marriage. So the single biggest decision that I can make, the, the, the indecisible decision that I cannot undo, I get no training for. Nobody helps me make a good decision there. Right. Uh, and man, I think so. My goal is to help people make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and get them well prepared uh, for this this biggest of all life decisions that they'll possibly ever. Make. Mm-hmm. And this is probably too why you have this marriage one hundred and one course that you offer for, on occasion, right? Tell us a little bit about that before we launch into our topic for today. Yeah, right. So marriage one hundred and one, yes, exactly. And it's a it's a one day workshop, and it it's kind of tools based. And I, I start off by setting the the Christian foundation for what marriage is all about, which we did a podcast on that. Uh, a while back. Uh, I do that. And then I go into conflict management because conflict is part of every relationship. And it's not conflict that destroys marriages. It's conflict avoidance. And we tend to avoid conflict because we don't know how to do it. And I don't want to get into a fight. So I'm just going to, I'll just suck it up. And mm-hmm. but you can't. And pretty soon it builds up and you have this big fight. So we spend time on that. And then we spend time talking about um, uh, the, the, the foundation of what marriage is all about and, and successful marriages are based on friendship, affection, and appreciation. So we spend time talking about those three things and I give couples an opportunity to kind of practice the skills of showing friendship, affection, and appreciation within marriage. And then we've got a wonderful uh, uh, pre- marriage prep uh, questionnaire that we use uh, put out by, I don't know if I can give them a plug or not, but by Dynamic Catholic. Yeah, and, uh, it's free, and it's it's the best marriage prep questionnaire I've ever come across. Great. And so we go through that, and we talk about uh, you know what areas there are that they need to talk about that they're going to need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen, you know, one of the top marriage therapists in the country, a guy named Dan Weil, has written a number of good books. And but and I quote him often. And what he says is, listen, successful marriages often boil down to a matter of marrying a person with whose defects you can live with. Mm. Because whoever you marry, they're going to have defects. And so I kind of help these couples spend some time looking at what is this person's defects that I'm marrying 
then can I live with that? Sure. Right? Uh, and if this person just isn't too patient, they tend to be very patient. Well, can I live with an impatient spouse? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I can, maybe I can't. If this person's very critical, can I live with someone who's very critical? Uh, if the person tends to drink too much, can I live with a person who, you know, abuses alcohol or drugs? Can I live with that? Together? And so the problem is during the dating period, there's so much infatuation mm-hmm. that we we tend to not see the defects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get married and the defects show up. And, I, and this will be a very loose translation of Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> But basically, he said, there are two passions that can cause insanity, love and hate, Mm. because both are so intense that it can blind you to the truth. And so when I'm falling in love and I got this infatuation going, I can be blinded to this person, to the truth about this person. And I and some I, I see all of the virtue and none of the defects. And that's that that's not good. So one of the things. One of the litmus tests uh, that I encourage couples to do when they're dating is ask their friends and family how they feel about the person. Because your friends and family are not blinded by the love that you are, but they love you deeply. And if your friends and family are saying, man, he's a great guy. You have found a wonderful woman. And I think you should grab on that person right away because, man, they're terrific. Man, that's a real stamp of approval. But if your friends or family are saying, man, are you sure you know what you're doing? You should you should think twice about this because I think you'll have trouble with this person. You should really listen to that, too, because they're not blinded the way you are, uh, but they've got your best interests at heart. So if the preponderance of advice is move forward, good sign. If it's run away, take the advice and run okay. away. This is a good reminder, too, for friends to be really good friends and say the truth about these kind of things. So I think often you feel like, oh, I can't tell them, like, I don't think this guy's the best for you or whatever. But also for them to be very like to be a really good friend and say, you know, yay or nay. And here's why. You hear that sometimes your friends get together talking, you know, and they're like, boy, can you believe she's engaged to that guy? What is yeah. she? But they don't ever tell her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, so I think, yeah, a good friend will be very honest and say, you need to think about this. Yeah, and, and another warning sign, and this is for people who you know are serious in a serious relationship and really discerning. Right? The, uh, and I, I forget the exact percentage, but the majority of couples that get divorced, one of them will say, "I knew this was a mistake, but I went ahead anyway. I didn't mm-hmm. stop it." Yeah. But I thought, well, we'll figure it out afterward. If you've got now going into marriage, it's such a big decision. Everybody's got a little doubt. Of course, you're going to have some apprehension about that. But if you've got this nagging thing in your gut that keeps you awake at night saying, man, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. You need to, to get out. And the problem is once you get engaged, and the way I talk about it is when you're dating, it's kind of like you're in a rowboat floating around in the middle of a lake. You're just floating around and enjoying each other and enjoying life and everything is sunny and rosy. Once you get engaged, you're no longer in a lake. You're now in a stream that's carrying you downstream towards the wedding day. And the closer you get, the faster that river is flowing and it gets so much harder to put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And you find a lot of times in the in the uh, engagement process where you get these nagging doubts, but we've already put money down on the, on the hall and we've got the church and we've got the bridesmaids and people are starting to send us gifts and we're registered and I just can't put the brakes on. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you end up making some mistakes sometimes doing that. So it's really good to get this thing figured out before you get engaged, yeah, which is exactly. why I really like working with couples that are just dating, seriously dating. They're thinking, man, this might be the one. I'm seeing mm -hmm. some real potential here. That's the best time for me to be able to work with a couple to help them really figure out if the engagement is the right thing. Because once you're engaged, man, it's pretty hard to walk away from that. Sure, that makes sense. Um, for those interested, we'll link to the Dynamic Catholic uh, questionnaire that Doug mentioned, as well as his Marriage 101 course in the show notes. So in case you want to look into that more, you will have that available to you. That's um, great. And I, you know, I'm doing the Marriage 101 thing virtually. Um, it started off because of COVID, but actually it lets me reach a lot more people. So I yeah. intend to keep doing Marriage 101 virtually, which means I can, uh, I can work with people anywhere in the world for that matter. So. Great. All right. We'll make sure to link to that. So let's start really going into our topic for today. Um, so yeah. tell us, how should a person go about preparing for marriage if they are not currently dating or maybe they're dating, but they're not currently seeing anyone seriously where marriage is like imminent? What should they be doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, uh, not that I have a program for this, but I think you should start preparing for marriage like in first grade. Right. I mean, you just need to get your mind right about what marriage is. Right. Yeah. So I, the, the first, the most important thing is to understand what Christ, what, what God, what our church teaches about marriage and then conform ourselves to that truth. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a tendency to want to conform God to us. You know, mm -hmm. we know what we want. We want God to ratify what we're doing as opposed to the other way around. And we really need to conform ourselves to God's truth about marriage. And I think there are three of those. Um, there's more than three, but I guess three primary ones. And, and, and the th we talk about the three ends of marriage, of which procreation, children is first, unity, bringing the, the, the two forming one unit to go through life side by side, rib to rib, so to speak, uh, and then mutual aid to get each other into heaven. Okay. And so I think, you know, procreation goes back to the first book of Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, God created Eve in his first chapter, 28th verse. And the first commandment he gave Adam and Eve was be fruitful, multiply, bring right. new life into the world. So that's a purpose of marriage. Mm -hmm. And you cannot separate that from marriage. And one of the, you know, one of the, the real tragedies, I think, of the contraceptive mentality that's so pervasive in the world is that, yes, you can separate love from children. Mm -hmm. You can separate the physical, what I like, like to call the marital privilege, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the union of, of the, the gift of the body that the husband and wife can give each other. You can separate that from its natural end, which is to bring new life into the world. And, and you can't because God, you know, God created that method. There are an unlimited number of ways God could have decided to bring children into this world, right? right? Uh, he chose marriage indissoluble forever as the, the vehicle to bring life into the world. So that's its, its function. That's its purpose. Mm -hmm. Its primary purpose is to bring new life into the world. Second is unity. So, right. So God created Adam. He looked down and said, oh, not, not good to leave that boy alone down there. Mm -hmm. He's going to get into trouble by himself. He needs a helper. He needs a woman. And I'm going to give him one. And he, and he gave him Eve. Uh, marvelously different. You know, equal in dignity, but very different in character and temperament and, and vision of the world, right? I only look mm -hmm. at the world. And so his deal was, we're not there to go through life alone. We are there to go through life united 
irrevocably with another human being, which is why we hold people with celibate vocations in such high regard because they have, they have freely renounced this thing that's very core to our very being, this, this thing that God put in us from the very beginning to go through life with another person. And these people who, who renounce that in order to serve God with their full time and attention, we hold them in such high esteem because this is such a huge sacrifice and, and every, almost everybody says, what do you want? You want to get married someday? Yep. You know, everybody wants to get married. Why? Where does that come from? It's not a social construct. God placed it in our very core of our being to be united with another human being. So that's one of the three ends of marriage. And then the third is mutual aid to get into heaven. And again, you know, God looked at Adam and said, he needs some help. I'm going to give him a woman to help him, right? And so our job is to get into heaven. And we stand a better chance of getting into heaven united with somebody in this, in this indissoluble lifetime union um, and, and than then if we're going through life single. And so having a, a, a life of prayer together, of shared faith, uh, and, of, and, and of union with God, where we're both trying to please God, and we're trying to love God through loving our spouse. And the best way we can love God is to love our spouse. And, and, and with this agape, this sacrificial, mm-hmm. this sacrificial love. So I think first, you got to understand those three things. And if, and if you're not interested in one of those three things, mm-hmm. you shouldn't get married because that's not, that, that's not what marriage is. Marriage is about bringing children into the world, united irrevocably with another human being that you will live with forever. Mm-hmm. And your job is to help that person get into heaven while that person's helping you. Right. The, the three are intertwined. You can't you can't pull one from the other. All right. So I think it's good then to examine what your expectations of marriage are. Mm-hmm. You have a different expectation. You know, some people have this expectation that I'm getting married so that I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. So I'll live happily ever after. Right. We've got yep. these fairy tales. You got Cinderella and you got Snow White and you've got the Little Mermaid and and you know and you got all these great romantic comedies and I love romantic comedies. I love them. But they've got it exactly backwards, right? And all the forces of evil conspire to keep the couple apart, you know, and they, they overcome evil. They overcome, you know, all the evil and they get together and then they ride off into the sunset where they live happily ever after. And whether it's a Hollywood movie or it's a fairy tale, but we know the reality is just the opposite. The easy time is when we're dating, when we're infatuated, where I look at you and my heart skips a beat. I, you take my breath away. You know, this is the time where all the love songs are written about our great love. That's the easy time. After we get married and then there's bills to pay and diapers to change and there's jobs and there's, you know, life gets in the way and all of a sudden you've got some defects and you're cranky in the morning. And I didn't know that because, you know, I never saw you. I never woke up with you in the morning and now I do. And I find out you're cranky and I don't know that I like that. And then, then it gets difficult. Right. So, um, so examine your expectations of what marriage is and make sure they're the proper expectations. Um, and th- this idea of mutually to get into heaven, let me touch on this. I touched about it in the other podcast we did, but God did not make marriage for your happiness. He made it for your holiness. But if we do holiness well, happiness is the byproduct of that. So if we align ourselves, conform ourselves to God's will, if we look at marriage as our path to sanctity, our path to holiness, we will in fact be happy even though we're married to an imperfect person, there will be happiness there. Okay. But if happiness is your goal, you know, you're not going to, uh, marriage isn't going to be the thing that's going to make you perfectly happy. Only God can do that in heaven. Okay. 
Um, you know, and so and examine some of the myths you might have. So there's some myths around there of marriage, like, you know, um, everything that's good will get better after we get married. Like, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. But marriage is hard work. And we have a tendency to look over time more at the negatives than the positives. And one of the hallmarks of a good marriage is they're able to continue to focus on each other's virtues and ignore each other's defects. Okay. So the other, another myth is everything bad will disappear. Like after we get married, things will be better. In yeah. fact, the opposite will, will be the case. I mean, we tend to be on our best behavior when we're dating and engaged. And a lot of times people, you know, they put it into, you know, neutral and coast after they're married. And so the bad things don't disappear. If anything, they show up and then even more things show up because the infatuation wears off and the reality sets in. I think a lot of women especially kind of fall into that myth of like, he'll change for the better for me because he loves me so much. Therefore he will stop doing X, Y, Z once we're married. Like I have a lot of friends who, you know, you just see that happening and, and but it's definitely a myth that it's not, they're not going to necessarily just change because they're married now. No, no, they're, 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 they're not going to. In fact, they're, you know, they, things get more difficult generally after marriage. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, and another myth is my spouse will make me whole. Now there's this unity thing, right? And, and if you appreciate that, and if you can work that, yeah, that's good. And you find that extroverts tend to get married to introverts and that's a good thing. It can be, but you can make each other crazy sometimes, you know, uh, but opposites do tend to attract. And if you can love those differences in each other, that can really balance you out. Okay. Mm -hmm. But your spouse is, this is this idea of a soulmate, mm. which I disagree with. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do think you have a soulmate, but his name is Jesus and he lives in heaven and you'll see him someday. Mm -hmm. But on this earth, you don't have a soulmate. There's no one who's going to completely make you whole, who's going to be able to complete your sentences. Uh, and I've worked with couples who have divorced and where one of them has said, I'm entitled to be happy and I'm entitled to, to a soulmate and she ain't it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm leaving her to go find a soulmate. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That's probably not going to happen. That, that, that idea of soulmate. No spouse is going to be able to fill all your needs. There's this complementarity in marriage, but you're marrying a person with defects as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. And those defects will make you a little crazy from time to time. Uh, my wife has a wonderful saying that he, she always says he, she never says she, <laughs> he, he who irritates sanctifies. Mm. Right. And so when I'm getting on her nerves, she will say, Hey, well, you're sanctifying me now, which I'm like, well, that's good because my job is to help you get into heaven. And so the more difficult I can make your life, the more you suffer, the better chance you'll get to heaven. Mm -hmm. And then I get into trouble for saying it. But anyway, he who irritates sanctifies. All right. So listen, there's, there's a, a, a married couple, both of which PhDs, Les and Leslie Parrott, mm -hmm. uh, who have written a wonderful book, How to Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah, and, and there's some wonderful, they've got some wonderful insights that they share. They, they say that there are five different marriage mindsets. And you've got to be careful and you, you need to look at what your marriage mindset is. And the first one to talk about is a resolute mindset. And that is you want marriage, you want children. You are resolute in this. And you've always, from the time you're a child, seen yourself being married and living a married life with children and chaos and a job and a house. And, you know, you've just always seen yourself as a married person. It's very resolute. That's how I see myself. So I've always seen myself. And that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it is good. Second one is a rational mindset that, yes, I want to be married, but I realize marriage is hard work. I'm not going into it with rose-colored glasses. 
I realize I'm going to have to work hard and it's not going to be perfect. And I realize the person I'm married isn't perfect, but it's what I want. And I think it's a good thing to be married, even though it's not going to be perfect, you know, happiness. And that's good. The third one is a romantic mindset, right? Which is that soulmate is live happily ever after idea. Now, listen, romance is a good thing in a marriage. Romantic candlelight dinners, romantic vacations, walks on the beach. Yes, your marriage needs that. But if you think that's all that marriage is, mm -hmm. is this kind of breathtaking, romantic, you know, day after day, you're going to get disappointed. And then you're going to look for someone else who can give you this romantic thing. So romance is important, but it's not the whole the whole show. All right. So that can lead you down a dangerous path. The, the fourth is, is restless mindset that, you know, marriage is a good thing for most people. I might even want to get married someday, but I've got a lot of life I need to live before I get there. Okay. And uh, so you got this restless mindset. Uh, and I, I had a couple that I saw married less than a year and they were struggling and the husband had this restless mindset. And he said to me one day, Doug, I love this woman. She's the most remarkable woman in the world. Mm. It's marriage that I don't like. Mm. And I feel imprisoned. I, I feel confined. I've lost my freedom. And she's phenomenal. But marriage really is bad. So, okay. So that's that. They, 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 they really got, they, they did well. I mean, he, he was able to move on beyond that. And they really are doing wonderful job, but in this restless mindset, which causes a lot of trouble. And the last one is reluctant. It's kind of anti-marriage. Man, marriage is bad news. It only ends in heartbreak. And, you know, uh, you, you just, marriage is not something I want. Well, why, why does anybody who's reluctant want to get married? Well, oftentimes they do because they've started a family first and there's a baby showing up and like, well, I guess we got to get married now because we're going to have a baby. Mm -hmm. And that's generally not a recipe for a successful marriage is to get married because you have to or because mm -hmm. you've made a mistake and there's a child coming. All right. So take a look at this. Right. Are you resolute or rational, romantic, restless or reluctant in your outlook towards marriage? And if you're in the, that top two set, resolute and rational. Great. That's where you should be. Mm -hmm. Throw in a little uh, romantic mindset, which is a very good, very good. That's the seasoning, the spice in the marriage, which is very good. Restless or reluctant, probably a good idea for you not to get married, at least not right now, mm. you know, until you can migrate up to one of the other concepts. Do you think part of that, too, also has to do with age? Like, I'm thinking, you know, if you're, I don't know, maybe if you're in high school or you're in college, you might have that kind of restless or reluctant because you're like, uh, like, I can't really see myself married right now. So, like, I'm just not interested. Whereas, like, maybe when you age, some of this can change. Yeah, I think so, for sure. And really, if you're not in a position to get married and 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 to support yourself and to bring children to the world, you shouldn't be getting married. And so it would be stay away from any serious dating until you're actually in a position where you can take on a spouse and the commitments that come along with marriage, which, of course, is is bringing children into the world. Sure. And do they have suggestions for, let's say you are like ready or you're of marrying age and you think like, OK, that should be the next step. But you're in one of this, the restless or the reluctant categories. Like, how do you move yourself out of that? To yeah, I think, well, I, you know, I. Uh, um, I don't want to be trite about this, but I think prayer is the answer, right? I mean, you sit down and, and have a conversation with our Lord and say, okay, God, what, 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 what do you really want from me? Because I don't think this marriage idea makes too much sense. What do you think? And help me okay. figure this out. Uh, I think, I think prayer is the deal. And, um, um, hmm. you know, you just got to, we got to get aligned with what our Lord wants. And one of the ways we find that out is by asking him in prayer. Sure. 
That which is why sense. having a shrine dedicated to Our Lady of Fair Love, which gives people a wonderful place to sit and pray, mm-hmm. is a marvelous idea. That's the hope. That's the goal. That's for sure. Um, great. Okay. So besides kind of understanding this truth about marriage, getting a feel for where we are in our in our concepts about marriage and how we feel about it, what else can a person do to really prepare for marriage? Yeah. So I think... Um, what, what I'd say is first, I would talk about spiritual depth, right? Mm. I would talk, I mean, marriage is a spiritual endeavor. Okay? Mm. Um, and so I think first you have to deepen your faith. You have to deepen your love of God. I mean, divorce rates go down as love of God goes up. Hmm. And that's, that's the deal, right? So deepen your love, deepen your faith, deepen your relationship, your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then second, I think you work, start working now to acquire those virtues you will most need in marriage. Mm-hmm. Become the type of person you would want to marry. Mm-hmm. Become a per, uh, Virtue is very attractive. If you meet a person who's virtuous, you are instantly attracted to that person. You want to get to know that person at a deeper level. And I would, you know what, I'd highlight maybe four or five virtues here. First, I would highlight is friendship. It's mm-hmm. so one of the three legs of the stool of a good marriage is friendship, right? And friendship is the ability to take a sincere interest in the life of another person. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to put other people first. Uh, it puts love into your connection with another person and it roots out selfishness. All right. So learn how to be a good friend to the friends you have now. Mm-hmm. Friends of both sexes, the, the male friends that you have and the female friends that you have. Learn how to be a good friend. How do you do that? Well, I think first by seeing the other person as being the image and the likeness of God. Mm-hmm. Every single person on this earth was made in the image and likeness of God and therefore is of infinite value who I can never use for my own selfish purposes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. So be the kind of person that takes an interest in other people and asks them questions. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this. Oh, I see, you, you know, I see you just did a 50 mile bike ride. That must have been hard. Did you have to train for that? Did you do it with other people? How did you, you know, ask questions to show in sincere interest. So seek first to understand. And I think the other thing is surround yourself with good people. You mm-hmm. move and become like the people you surround yourself with. So pick really good people to be friends with and learn how to be a good friend yourself. Friendship is critical. Mm-hmm. I think meekness is another virtue that mm-hmm. is important in marriage, right? So because anger is never the right answer. I have yet to ever work with a couple where one of them said, man, I got really angry and that solves the problem. <laughs> yeah. The angrier I got, the easier it was to fix the problem. Anger is never the right answer, right? Sure. And so we need to learn how to control our, our temper. We all have a temper, right? It's one of the seven deadly sins is anger. But meekness, I mean, Moses, right? Use Moses as your role model. Or Jesus, of course, who is meek and humble of heart. And meekness is accepting the will of God in all things, even in the things that happen that we don't like, that we don't want, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, how do we go about acquiring meekness? I think, see even the negative things in life as gifts from God that help us grow in virtue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I know, Katie, you've got experience uh, running a marathon, as do Mm -hmm. I. Well, when you're training for a marathon, you never run 26 miles. No. The most you ever run is 20, maybe 22, but you spend a lot of time developing your muscle and your lungs by running shorter distances, right? Mm-hmm. And so we grow in virtue through resistance in little things. And part C, and we have a lot of negative things that happen to us every day, right? Uh, uh, some rude, slow driver in front of us, right? Uh, a, a, a rude clerk at a store, right? We'll learn to see these things as gifts from God that help us grow in the virtue of patience, mm-hmm. right? Or charity or, or, or 
that kind of thing. And then get in the habit of doing little acts of kindness for other people. Mm. Okay. Meek people are always looking for how I can do an act of kindness. So I think, especially for people you find hard to tolerate, right? I mean, say Therese the Little Flower, right? If you read her autobiography, right? She went out of her way to be kind to the nuns who really kind of got on her nerves, right? Mm. Well, that's meekness, right? Being kind to people who particularly find it difficult to tolerate. I think meekness is a really interesting one because I think it has a, a negative connotation for a lot yeah. of people. You hear that and you think of like mousy and unable to stand up for themselves and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But in reality, the way that you're talking about it is very clearly like, it's like a power play almost in the sense of like, okay, I'm going to see all these things that happen, good and bad, like in the day as gifts from God. And I'm going to, I'm going to accept them as they are and move forward that way. Yeah, I agree. agree. Meekness is a wonderful quality. If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have been defined as meek. Mm Right. Right. He was pretty tough when he needed to be. Right. All right. I think kindness is another virtue indispensable in marriage, right? And kindness is taking true joy in another's good fortune. Mm. And part of what marriage is, is well, part of what love is, is I want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. If it's good for you, then that's what I want. Okay. It's just desiring the good for another. And marriages fall, fall down a lot of times when we start comparing. Mm. Well, I do this and that and that, and you don't, right? And soon I start keeping a list, a balance sheet, that's not good, right? And that's not kindness. So learn to be a kind person. And I think we do that by random acts of kindness, and even especially ones that no one will know about, hmm. right? So, you know, unload the dishwasher, but don't tell anybody. Get out the vacuum cleaner and vacuum the floor, but don't tell anybody you did it, right? Hmm. Clean a window, right? Dust, a, dust, do little acts of kindness, especially if people don't know, you know, straighten up the house, right? You know, clean the bathroom up. You know, whatever it is, get in the habit of doing little acts of kindness and trying to hide it so no one knows about it. All right. And then your reward will be in heaven. Right. As our Lord says. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to ask you about the kindness thing, I think, again, in our society today, kindness has is I think it's a little misunderstood. Right. There's this really popular phrase right now that it's if you have the choice between being right and being kind, be kind. Yes. And and I think that can be very problematic because that is saying that the two don't go together, that being true and being kind are not the same thing um, and better to not be true, but to be kind. Um, and so I think what, how do you see that, you know, especially when we're thinking like, okay, we, we're trying to grow in kindness. Does that mean we're trying to grow in just like speaking nice words to people or? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, kindness should not be confused with weakness for sure. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the kindest thing you can do is have a difficult conversation with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and and this idea about being right, you know, it's interesting. So when when I work with couples and they're they're in the middle of a conflict, mm-hmm. they both think they're right. Sure. Well, and you know, and, and sometimes they both are because they see the problem through a different lens and mm-hmm. they see the problem is different. And so they see a different solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, but this whole thing about, you know, I got to be right. It's got to be my way. Well, you know, you can be right and still be kind mm-hmm. and you can have strong opinions, but still show an interest in the other person mm-hmm. in terms of friendship. Well, tell me why you feel that way. Why do you think that, you know, we should turn left? Cause I think we should turn right in this issue. And so I think they can go hand in hand. Um, uh, but this this demand that I'm right and you're wrong can lead to a lot of trouble as well. Okay? Yeah. So seek to understand is, is helpful. Great. 
So you have three so far, friendship, meekness, yeah. kindness. What's the yeah. fourth one? Let's talk about patience, right? Because the person you're married to has defects and you need to be patient, right? Mm-hmm. And patience is staying calm in difficult situations, right? And to be able to endure frustration cheerfully, mm-hmm. which is enduring another person's defects with cheerfulness. That's what patience is all about. Um, and, uh, you know, patience really is the lubricant, I think, that makes living with another person enjoyable because... You married a person with defects, and that's going to get on your nerves if you're not patient. So patient. How do you grow in patience? Well, I think here's the deal. I think when you're checking out at the grocery store, go to the longest line, not the shortest. Uh-huh. Right? And while you're standing there and you're kind of tapping your foot, say, and don't look at your phone, right? Just sit and say, okay, no, I'm growing in patience on this. I'm learning how to be patient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can be kind to the person behind you in front of you, right? Uh, when you get behind a slow driver, stay behind him. Don't pass him. Don't honk the horn at them, right? Or the light turns uh, red and they're on their phone. Don't honk your horn. Just sit there a few minutes and be patient, right? Um, You know, uh, walk to the store rather than drive to the store. Uh, um, You know, read to a small child, you know, Mm -hmm. take an interest in a child. Actually set aside some time to have a conversation with a small child. So practice patience in little ways. And then in your marriage, you will find it easier to be patient with the defects of your spouse. Mm Mm-hmm. I would add, I would also add, I got two more I, I want to talk about. I know okay. we're, these were over time, but Sorry. Um, optimism is really important. The ability to see the positives in every situation, to see the bright side, to be able to see failure as feedback. Okay. Failure doesn't mean I'm a bad person or you're a bad person. It means we've learned something now. Mm-hmm. And when we've had a fight or an argument, that's a failure. But I've learned now. I've learned what to say, what not to say, and how to treat you. Okay. And I think one of the things to think about is most things are neutral until you put a label on them. So, for instance, let's say your spouse comes home an hour late and doesn't call. That's neutral until you make a decision about that. You can say, wow, they must have been hung up in traffic. They're going to be really frustrated. When they walk in the door, I need to give them a big hug and a kiss. Or you could say they're rude for not calling. So you put a label on it, and that's going to dictate how you're going to react to your spouse when he or she walks in the door. Get in the habit of putting positive labels on things and seeing the positive. Negativity kills a lot of marriages. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of friendships too, right? To yes. like give other people that benefit of the doubt and be like, oh, they did this thing and maybe maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe, you know, maybe their boss reamed them out at work today and that's why they reacted this way. And like that's right. giving, making allowances for them in that way. It's, it's huge. And it's one of the hallmarks of good marriages. Um, when couples come to see me, often they're in what we call a negative sentiment override. Mm. All they're seeing is the negative in their spouses and in their marriage. Successful marriages, the couples do a really good job to work hard to stay in a positive sentiment override. Mm. And the, the John Gottman, the leading researcher in, in, uh, in, in marriage and happiness, um, uh, he's done rem- remarkable work. But he's found that negatives are five times more powerful than positives. So for every one negative, you need to do five positives to overcome that, right? And so we need to get in the habit of of affirming, catching our spouse doing something right, praising, thanking, always staying in a positive mindset. So having an optimistic outlook on life is very good. Now, how do you go about doing that? Well, I think the idea is you train yourself from a young age that whenever a negative thought enters my mind, I say to myself, stop it. And I look for the contrary evidence. I look for the positive way to look at the situation. And you train yourself from young on to see the positive, to see the glasses half half full. 
I think this this is huge, but I also think really hard. I was just reading a study the other day that said, you know, they, they're unsure entirely, but the average person has between 6,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. And they think that about 80% of those are negative thoughts. Holy smokes. Yeah. Which, you know, like that that's really scary. And so like, and in order to overcome that, you've got to start rewiring that brain to see the positives and to like catch the negative thought and, and move it aside and find some positive well, thoughts that you can have. You know, and optimism is very attractive. You know, well, we don't want to be around negative people, right? I mean, you just, you know, if, you, if there's two people in a room, one of which is smiling and, and optimistic, another is frowning and negative, who are you going to go say hello to? Stay <laughs> away from the negative person. It's just so unattractive, right? So become the kind of person that you, that you want to attract which is someone who's positive, optimistic, and, and always sees, you know, the silver lining, right? Mm-hmm. And then last, and I, I think perhaps most important, it's hard to rank these, but I think is the virtue of forgiveness, all right? Mm-hmm. The ability to let go of anger and let go of resentment, treating the offender with compassion and mercy and kindness and generosity, even if the person doesn't deserve it, right? Which is mm-hmm. certainly, you know, what our Lord, the whole reason he came down to this earth was to bring us forgiveness. We saw it exemplified to its maximum degree on the uh, on the cross. People are jeering at him, spitting on him. Father, forgive them for they know mm-hmm. not what they're doing, okay? And, and no one is in a position to hurt you more than the person you're married to because you have given your heart to that person. You have taken it out of your chest and you've said, I give you everything, mm-hmm. all my emotions, all my vulnerabilities. And that person will, in fact, hurt you from time to time, almost never intentionally, mm-hmm. but he or she has defects and they're flawed and they're tired and they're cranky or they've got problems from work or the kids are up and they're going to be inconsiderate sometimes. They're not, you know, and so we have to be able to forgive on a daily basis, the person we're married to. Okay. Uh, And without forgiveness, bitterness soon sets into a marriage and that destroys it. Okay. So I think, so how do we grow in forgiveness? Well, one, appreciate that forgiveness is the most Christ-like thing you can do. Mm -hmm. If you want to imitate Christ, practice the virtue of forgiveness. Okay. And it's so important that it's in the Our Father twice. Hmm. You know, when we get to the petitions part, give us today our daily bread. Okay. Give us what we need to get through today. Forgive us as we forgive others. So what our Lord says, forgiveness is so important. You need to get it and give it both. Mm-hmm. We don't say, Hey Lord, forgive me. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive right. me as I forgive. And we're going to be measured by how well we forgive. Well, the good news is your spouse is going to give you a lot of opportunities to practice forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I, I promise. So practice forgiving small offenses, just a word that was said that kind of hurts you. Practice forgiving a rude driver on the road or someone who's playing their music too loud or a store clerk who wasn't kind. If you look, you will have many opportunities each day to practice forgiveness. And I think the way to do it is to say, Lord, I forgive this person. And then maybe say a little prayer. Just say a little prayer. Say, God, please bless this person today. Help them have a better day today. Okay. Say a Hail Mary. Say a little prayer for a person who's who's offended you. Okay. So real quick, I, I know we're way over time. I apologize. Um, what should you be doing right now? A, prayer. You should be praying for your future spouse right now. Are you six years old? Start praying for your future spouse right now that God helps that person lead a good life and make good choices and prepare well to be your spouse. So pray for your future spouse, okay? Um, And then practice the virtues, okay? Practice the virtues, develop those virtues that you most want to marry. Make sure you have those virtues in yourself and then pray that God sends you a wonderful person and God who is never outdone in generosity will in fact answer that prayer.
I'm sure. So much to unpack here. <laughs> People are going to have to listen to it over again a couple of times to get through all of these virtues um, of friendship, meekness, kindness, patience, optimism, forgiveness. As you were talking about forgiveness, it was reminding me too of the, there's a small little book that Scepter puts out that's called From Resentment to Forgiveness that is really, Excellent. really good. Excellent. Yep. Um, and really helping people understand how they can become happy even after they've been wounded very seriously. So, um, I guess in hindsight, I should have added one more virtue, the virtue of brevity. So we wouldn't have gotten that on time, but no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. So, um, final takeaway, what do you, again, you know, if someone listened to all 40 minutes of this, what do you want them to take away? <laughs> um, I know it's hard to, it's hard to encapsulate in one. Yeah, um, so I think, listen, to prepare for marriage, you've got to prepare yourself to be, a virtuous person. That's what I would say. Um, uh, know what you're getting into when you get, when you get married. Find a person with virtue and be a person of virtue. So to prepare yourself for marriage, just prepare yourself to be a virtuous person and let God kind of bring the right person into your life. Great. Thank you so much, Doug. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Fairest Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to share it with others so that they can also enjoy it and visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ferris Love Shrine.